Good morning, church. It's my pleasure to be here with you this morning. It is a great blessing to be here. If you don't know me, uh, if we've not met yet, my name is Tyler Yeager. I am the college and careers minister here at Oldham Lane. And uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I was recruiting teachers to finish up the, the fall semester, trying to get a different rotation of people in the classroom for the college kids. And I told Blake that I'd trade him for work. If he would come and teach a few weeks in December, I would uh, preach one Sunday for him. So I think I got the good end of the deal there. Uh, I do think my students got the better end of the deal than y'all. But it is a good blessing to be here this morning. And in all seriousness, I count the family here at Oldham Lane as one of my greatest blessings. I love the opportunity to worship and labor here at Oldham Lane. And I think you do. you know what I'm talking about. It is a great blessing to be among the family here. And bringing a portion of God's word to you this morning makes it all the sweeter. Do you remember the car that you drove in high school? Some of you aren't there yet, and your parents are thankful. Some of you are in that stage of life, and your parents have gotten really good at praying. But for most of us, that time has come and passed. But I bet you still remember the first car that you ever drove. This is what I drove in high school, a 1997 Jeep Wrangler. Photo credits to my brother for taking this picture for me last week. Uh, But anyway, this is what I rolled around Sholo, Arizona in from my junior year of high school to my senior year of college. My air conditioning was taking the top half of the doors off and hoping it didn't rain. Uh, I drove this thing all over town, got it stuck in a few places, left a few scratches on it, put a few dents in it. And far too often, I left my headlights on, woke up in the morning to a dead battery, or walked out of class at the end of the school day to a dead battery. And you know, when a battery dies and a vehicle isn't able to start, you have to jump start the battery to get it going. And this, this happens for a number of reasons. If you're me, it was because I often left my headlights running when I shouldn't. For some, a parasitic draw may drain the battery. This is when uh, seemingly small and significant things are running in the background and, and dwindle the battery down. For others, maybe it's a poor connection on the battery terminals. Maybe it's extreme weather that's causing the battery to malfunction. Sometimes it's just a bad alternator, uh, not allowing the battery to, to recharge itself. But regardless of the cause, you must jumpstart the battery for the engine to run. And then usually leave it running for some time. Other times, uh, repairs or upkeep might be required in order to prevent the same issue from happening again. And man, did this Jeep require some other repairs quite often. But it still runs, and I I just sometimes have to jumpstart it when I get back home to Arizona. Do you find times in your face where you've neglected proper upkeep and you find yourself needing a jumpstart? Maybe your faith energy has dwindled down and now you're unable to move. Well, church, there's good news and there's tough news. The good news is we can jumpstart our faith. The tough news is is there isn't a shortcut, a secret, or a trick to do this. There isn't a quick, hey, pull out the jumper cables and get her going option. So how do we jumpstart a cold, stagnant faith? Well, We're going to spend some time in God's Word this morning understanding what God has to say about the matter and seeing how God can revive a stagnant faith. Today, our main text comes from the book of Ezekiel uh, that Brother Eddie read for us at the beginning of service. 
We're going to go back there now and read through this text throughout the, 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 the sermon, but I want to start here in verses 1 and 2. This is Ezekiel 37, 1 and 2. Uh, for this morning's lesson, I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible, beginning in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. And it was full of bones. He had me pass among them all around, and behold, they were very many on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. You read this, and it's hard to not picture something almost spooky, right? A pile of bones or a field of bones laid out before you. Surely, if we found something like this today, it would be considered a crime scene. The bones of Israel, we learn later from verse 11, are, are seen here as the nation was dead spiritually. Verse 11 says, He said to me, Son of man, these bones are the entire house of Israel. And behold, they say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is perished, and we are completely cut off. So what happened? I want us to have an understanding of this crime scene. The bones here represent the, how, the whole house of Israel. The northern nation of Israel has been scattered among the nations by Assyria. The southern nation of Judah has been invaded multiple times by the Babylonian Empire, sending the people into exile. Remember, this is where uh, Ezekiel is, along with many other people. They're in exile in Babylon. Not only this, but the temple was destroyed in Ezekiel 33. Jerusalem has fallen. In the face of these events, the light bulb has finally come on for the people. We are truly cut off from God. We are cut off from life. Our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We have nothing. There's no possible way for there to be any hope of restoration. We often quote Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. As a matter of fact, conclusion, and this is true, the wages of sin is death, but it is one thing to read it in Scripture and to know it to be true, and another to experience it to the level that they felt now. The Israelites had come face to face with this reality in a harsh way. The wages of sin is death. Moses had prophesied before they had entered the land of Canaan that destruction and ruin would come if they were not loyal to the Lord. Deuteronomy 28, 25, and 26 says... The Lord will cause you to be defeated by your enemies. You will go out one way against them, but you will flee seven ways from their presence, and you will be an example of terror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your dead bodies will serve as food for all the birds of the sky and for all the animals of the earth, and there will be no one to threaten them away. Uh, Jeremiah prophesied something similar in Jeremiah 34, 18 through 20. I will give the people who have violated my covenant who have not fulfilled the words of the covenant which they made before me, when they cut the calf in two and passed between its parts, the officials of Judah, the officials of Jerusalem, the high officials and the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf, I will hand them over to their enemies and to those who seek their lives. And their dead bodies will be food for the birds of the sky and the animals of the earth. To have one's body abandoned is the ultimate dishonor. To have a body thrown out and laid to just rot and dry out is not very honorful. And this valley was filled with the dry bones representative of the human corpses that had not had proper burial. There were very many, Scripture says, and they were very dry. 
They had been dead for a long time. They'd stripped clean by the buzzards, then left for the insects, then sat bleaching in the sun. It was a picture of death in its full horror, intensity, and finality. This is where sin had left the nation of Israel. So where do you and I come in? This is what a dead faith looks like. Those times in your faith where you've neglected proper upkeep and you find yourself needing a jump start. You find your faith has dwindled and now you're unable to move. That's you and I right there. Sin and spiritual neglect leave us feeling like a shell, leave us feeling like dead, scattered, dry bones. The vision of dry bones, church, represents you and I without a Christ-filled life, scattered and ruined our faith dries up and there is no hope of life, no hope of return, cut off from the life of God. So this is the crime scene of Israel. This is what the situation was. This is what it looked like. What's your crime scene look like? What's causing your battery to die? What's causing your faith to dwindle? What causes you to stumble? What has led you away from the Lord? What cuts you off from that energy so that you feel depleted? You feel lost. You feel tired and empty. Maybe it's the parasitic draw that kills a battery that can just as well kill a faithful Christian. Maybe you've let other seemingly harmless things run in the background and they drain your energy and take up your time. You let other things compete for your attention. And in trying to appease all these other things and all these other, other obligations, you're left feeling empty, pulled away from the Lord. Or maybe your alternator is damaged and you don't find time to refill or recharge your faith. Church, once a week isn't enough. A prayer before dinner or bed isn't enough. The occasional fellowship with God's people isn't enough. Or maybe you fail to take the precautions to protect your faith, and instead of leaving the lights running that, that drain your battery, you continue a habit that's detrimental to your spiritual health. You know it's there. You know it hurts you, but it won't hurt. I can let it run for a while. Before you know it, your faith is compromised. Rather than extreme weather ruining your battery, maybe it's the situations that you've let yourself remain in. Maybe you don't shelter yourself from the adverse social conditions of the world, remain exposed to all that the world has to offer because, well, how harmful can it be? And so as you remain in these situations, you remain in these conditions, your battery is drained. Instead of a bad battery terminal, terminal Maybe it's a weak faith connection that we don't want to admit. A faith that's held together by a family member or a friend. Barely maintained through the once a week sermon or Bible class. And this connection isn't strong enough because you really don't have enough interest to take hold of it. To grab onto it and let it fill you. Whatever it is, whatever the situation is. Have you been in any of these situations? Have you been there, church? I have more recently than I'd like to admit. But I want you to remember the Lord did something else in this vision. He asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? Is all hope lost or can these bones live again? Is it over? Can they be jump-started back to life? Well, church, that's the promise. 
That is the promise. Here in Ezekiel 37, uh, 3 through 6, Then the Lord spoke to Ezekiel and said, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel answered, Lord God, you yourself know. And again he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, You dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. Behold, I am going to make breath enter you so that you may come back to life. And I will attach tendons to you and make flesh grow back on you. Cover you with skin and put breath in you so that you may come to life. And you will know that I am the Lord. The Lord is going to take jumper cables to those bones and shock them back to life like some crazy sci-fi movie. It's like taking an AED to bones and watching a full body spring from them. Israel's sin and poor decisions had led them away from God and resulted in a spiritually dead people. When we sin and make decisions that leave us with a dead faith, we separate ourselves from God. But the promise that God laid out to Ezekiel for the people of Israel is the promise that God has laid out to you and I through the blood of Jesus. The promise that God laid out to Ezekiel is the promise that the the writers of the New Testament used as their basis of understanding when they wrote about the promise that we have in in Christ Jesus. Paul wrote in Ephesians 2 and Colossians 2 that we were dead in our sins and we were children of wrath, but God has made us alive and raised us up with him, seating us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice that the resurrection language that's used here in Ezekiel is the same language we see all throughout the New Testament. You were dead. You were hopeless. You're lost, scattered. And I'm going to bring you back to life. I'm going to breathe life into you. And there are so many passages throughout the New Testament that that demonstrate this. Think about the resurrection of Lazarus that's recorded in John chapter 11. If you would, go with me to John 11, 25 and 26. Jesus says this. Jesus says to her, that's Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who believes in me will never die. Fast forward to the end of this uh, section of Scripture, the end of this scene when they go to the tomb of Lazarus. Martha tells Jesus, he's been dead for four days. He smells. Surely you don't want to undo that tomb. It's going to smell so bad. The point Martha is making is that it's too late. Lazarus is too dead. But Jesus is making a better point. He says, you're not too dead to be brought back to life. You're not too cut off. There is no point when your hope is so gone that God cannot bring you back to him. That's the promise, church. This is the promise that we have from God, that there is never a point where you're so far gone that God cannot bring you back. But what's the source of this promise? Where does it come from? How can the dead be revived? How can the spiritually struggling be made well again? Where is the source of power for this jump start? Well, if we stay right here in John 11, we see what brought Lazarus back to life. We're going to go to uh, later on in the chapter, John eleven forty three 43 and 44. And when Jesus had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Out came the man who had died, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around the cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind and let him go. Lazarus comes to life because of God's word in Jesus. 
God's word gave life to Lazarus because Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. Jesus taught this very point earlier in John 6, 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh provides no benefit. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. If we go back to our main text in Ezekiel 37, we see the same thing. The source of the resurrection of these bones, the source of life. Ezekiel 37, 7 through 14. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a loud noise. Behold, a rattling. The bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, tendons were on them. And the flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to the breath. The Lord God says this, come from the four winds, breath, and breathe on these slain so that they can come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath entered them, and they came to life and stood on their feet in exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the entire house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the Lord God says. Behold, I am going to open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life. And I will place you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. Church, it's the word of God that speaks hope and promise and life into these bones. It's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord that came into them and gave them life. It is through those words that give the Holy Spirit to you and I. It is through those words that we have hope. It is through these words that we know the Holy Spirit and that we know God is good, God is faithful, and God is able. Church, God is able, amen? God is able, amen? amen. God is able, church. We are His people. He says, you are my people. Church, I hope you believe that God is able because he is. Not just once for Lazarus, not just for Jesus Christ himself, and not just for the nation of Israel, but he is able for you and I. God is able. The source of this life is the word of God. The source of our promise is the blood shed by Jesus. He says, I am the resurrection and the life and the one who believes in me will live even if he dies and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. That's the source. Church jumpstarting our faith means coming back to the source. Whether if it's that first time and you've realized I'm dead, I'm hopeless, and you're confessing Jesus as your Savior, and you're repenting and being baptized and brought into the body and feeling that power surge through you as the Holy Spirit comes upon you, as we're promised in Scripture. It doesn't matter if it's the first time or if it's the 50th time, and you've been a faithful Christian your entire life. We could go around this room and ask people that have been faithful for 50 years if they've ever needed a jump start, and I'd bet you they'd say yes. So whether it's the first time or the 50th time, the source is the same. Go back to the word and cling to the cross. Church, there's one more thing. There's one more matter of importance when it comes to jump-starting our faith. 
I remember one time, one of many times, really, that I had left my lights on on my Jeep during the school day. I did this a lot, okay? It honestly was far too frequent. Thank goodness for my automatic light dimmer on my truck now. What would we do without modern technology? So I get out of the Jeep. It won't, uh, so I get out of school. I go to the Jeep. It won't start. I call one of my friends to come over and give me a jump. And so they come, and, 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 he, and he sets his truck up next to me. We have our hoods up, and he goes, okay, where are your jumper cables? And that's right, oh, no, because I didn't have jumper cables. I looked at him, why would I need jumper cables? This only happens like every other week. So anyway, we find a friend who has cables, and I finally get someone to give me a jump. I hop in. And I realize I need gas. This is a true story, by the way. True story. I realize I need gas. I haven't gotten gas. It's on E. And I don't mean like E. I mean it's past E. Like, what are you doing, Tyler Yeager? So I go straight to the gas station just down the street. I turn the Jeep off. I fill it with gas. See some of you shaking your heads. You know where this is going. And I get in and I'm ready to go home. Thank goodness. Click, click. Are you kidding me? You've got to be kidding me. I'm embarrassed. Honestly, it wasn't so much that my Jeep was dead. It's that I didn't have jumper cables. I was out of gas. I'm sitting at the gas station. My Jeep is dead. And now I have to call the same friend. Hey, can you come back and jump me again? Now, there are a few things I could have done to prevent this situation. I could have turned my lights off, first and foremost. I could have kept jumper cables in my Jeep. I could have gotten gas before my gauge was on empty. I could have let the Jeep run for just a few minutes longer to charge the battery. But I didn't do these things, and I often made similar mistakes until my family and friends were honestly so sick of me. My brother bought me jumper cables. My mom said, don't call me if your Jeep is not starting. That's your fault. It was to the point where I had to learn to take a little more responsibility and safeguard my responsibilities. So I started taking some precautions. I put safeguards in place to keep my battery from dying. And that brings us to you and I, church. What safeguards do you have in place to keep your spiritual battery alive and well? Let me ask you a few questions so you can gauge yourself. And as I thought these questions over the last few uh, days, the last week, I myself was quite convicted. And And I found myself putting safeguards in place that I'd neglected before. Church, how often do you pray about your faith? I'm thankful for a mother that has asked me this and often often still does. When I'm upset, when I'm afraid, when I'm anxious, when I'm making a decision, well, son, have you prayed about it? Why are you on the phone talking to me about it? Pray about it. And not just once or twice. Is it on your heart? Does God know what's in your mind? Does God know what's bothering you? Does God know what you're needing? Have you told him? He knows. But he wants you to tell him. Church, how often do you study your faith? I'm thankful for a mother that's encouraged me this as well. Not only uh, to be a Bible study Sunday morning or Wednesday night, but how often do you sit and dwell in the word of God? We can't safeguard the truth, church, if we don't know the truth. We can't safeguard our faith if we don't know our faith, church. How often do you talk about your faith? My mom asked me this one a lot too. Who have you leaned on? Who are you talking to? Do you go to your brothers and sisters in the church and share your struggles? Confess your sin? 
do the people in your life know about your faith and hear about your faith on a regular basis? There's two parts to this. Are you sharing with your brothers and sisters so that you can lean on them? That's a big one. I struggle with that. I struggle to be vulnerable. I struggle to, to lean on people and to let them know when I'm needing help. And I've had to come face to face with that and say, man, I need God's people. But the second part of this is, do people in your life know of your faith, know of your hope? Do the people you work with know your faith, know what you believe? Do the people you go to school with know that you're a Christian and know that Jesus Christ is your hope and he's the only reason that you have hope? Do you talk about your faith? Church, how often are you correcting your faith? How often are you correcting those bad habits and making hard choices that positively impact your faith. Sometimes we maybe ride a bad habit out until it's, uh, well, just a normal part of life now and it doesn't feel so bad anymore. Sometimes we continue to make choices that we know are detrimental to our faith, but they're important to other aspects of our life. So, you know what? I'm gonna let them stick around. And we shrug off the consequences until it's too late. How often do you sacrifice for your faith? How often... Do you remember to put the cross in front of your life? This morning in our Bible class in our college room, we talked about putting our faith first, keeping first things first. Church, how often do you put first things first? How often do you take stock of all the things in your life and reorder them so that you know that your faith is at the, is at the forefront? Church, these safeguards are given to us by God so that we can protect our faith. When it comes to protecting our faith, God has laid it out plainly for us in Scripture. Plainly, in Ephesians chapter 6. In, in these verses, we learn from a young age. We often overlook these verses as a children's ministry craft or a medieval armor, and it's fun to talk about. But God has given us tools so that we can safeguard the faith. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 20. It says Galatians. Just making sure you're keeping track. It's Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, let Blake know that I squeeze into therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist on the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having, well, having belted your waist with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having stripped on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With every prayer and request, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be alert with all perseverance and every request for all the saints. And pray in my behalf that speech may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Church, we ought to speak boldly of the faith. Amen? We ought to speak boldly of the faith. With, just the, with the safeguards given in just these 10 verses, we can protect our faith battery and keep it full and help one another do the same. Church, I pray that when you need a faith jumpstart, you find it. And I pray that when you receive it, 
You put safeguards in place so you don't need it again. As we close out our time together this morning, I hope and I pray that you've been left with some things to consider. Tough choices to make, maybe. At the beginning of our lesson, I said there was good news and there was tough news. The good news is, church, our faith can be jump-started back to life. The tough news is, is it isn't easy and there isn't a shortcut. There isn't a one-size-fits-all. You have to want it. Church, do you want it? I pray that you do. The truth is, there's good news and there's tough news, but there isn't any bad news because Jesus Christ is our Savior, and in Him we can be revived. There is never a point in this life where the bones are too dry for Jesus to give life. When Paul preached the Sermon on Mars Hill, he was calling on them to turn away from their sins and be revived. Beginning in Acts 17.30, he said to them, So having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now proclaiming to mankind that all people everywhere are to repent, because he has set a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all people by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to scoff, but others said, We shall hear from you again concerning this. So Paul went out among them, went out from among them. But some men joined him and believed. Church, as we end this morning, will you join those who believe in the resurrection from the dead? Will you hear God's call to repent? Are you ready to confess your sins, put on Christ in baptism for the remission of sin, and live a life in the faith? If you're here this morning and you're ready to do that, we stand ready to help you. This is the revival that God has promised to us for generations and that is still available to us today. Or maybe you just need to jumpstart your faith once more and put some safeguards in place to protect it. We can help with that too. We have good, faithful, loving shepherds, a ministry staff that waits to serve you, and many other faithful servants that would love to lean on you and and pick you up. You can email us, call, text, come by the church office during the week. We'd love to serve you. But if it's convenient and you're able, we stand ready to serve you this morning as well. We have a time where you can respond this morning and come forward and petition the church for our prayers. You can confess sin and be be baptized. Whatever the need is, we invite you forward at this time as we stand and sing.